How's it going, everybody? Episode 14 of the iProgress podcast. I'm your host, Dean, and as always, I'm joined by Craig. Today, we're going to be looking at a week in the life of an academic. So this is a podcast which we've been wanting to do for quite a while, but it's really important because I think that when you move from your PhD into academia, it's important to remember that the PhD isn't designed as a degree that teaches you how to teach or a degree that teaches you how to be an academic. It's a research degree. It's a, it's a knowledge degree. But the job that directly leads on from it is an academic job in, in the most part that you're not always fully prepared for. You kind of are taught these transferable skills, which are always really important, such as being able to manage your time or manage a large scale project. But very rarely are you taught the specifics that will really make you succeed as an academic. And as part of our progress, that's something that we really care about. We see time and time again that early career academics either struggle with that step up or in sometimes don't manage that step up at all. And they find themselves in quite a lot of disarray. They don't really know how to do the job that they've been working so hard throughout the PhD process to get and it can be really detrimental for them really shooting off and flying within their careers. So as always we split the podcast into kind of three key topics. Today we're going to be talking about the competing tasks that academics have, the shallow versus deep work which they need to understand the difference of in terms of being successful. And also one of the key elements when we're managing um, our diaries throughout the week is maintaining control of all of these competing tasks that we have. So Craig, did you want to kick us off with the competing tasks element in terms of what we do in a particular week as an academic? Sure. Um, I mean, how long have we got? Um, We've got multiple things that are going on for people uh, as academics so we spoke about this in multiple different places i think um so obviously teaching is the big one that most people are doing um that could be delivering large lectures it could be doing one-on-one tutorials small group seminars uh project supervision these are all kind of elements of our teaching programs they are timetabled sessions in addition to that we've got our own individual or independent research programs that we're leading or collaborating with colleagues we've also got various admin roles so it might be that people sit on various committees or that they are reviewing papers that they are uh, sitting on panels that look after people who have got uh, applications for extensions or hopefully not so much but people who are uh, maybe accused of plagiarism, things like that. Um, so yeah, the kind of three key areas is teaching, research, and admin. And there's some division of labour between those three uh, competing areas. Yeah. So I, I think I think a lot of the time we've talked about how when additional tasks come around, and we're there tasked with trying to um, see how best to manage these and things always fall out what we've noticed is that the things that fall out are our own research and, and writing times it it happens all the time and you see it with academics especially early career academics that are potentially given quite large teaching loads 
what they're finding is that they've got all of this passion for research. They've got all of these fantastic ideas. They may have just come out of their vivo where an external examiner said, okay, so next time, you know, why don't we look at this? Why don't we look at that? Or, or get your juices flowing around this in terms of being creative. They're then faced with creating modules or editing a lot of um, teaching content. And because of that, they take the research out of their kind of diaries you know it's, it's, it's the first thing that disappears and so when craig's talking about how some of these overlap we've spoken on the podcast before and also in, in the youtube videos if, if you are watching us on youtube that the research and the teaching elements can almost in some instances blend together so for example when you have project students it might be worth thinking about well okay so i've got two project students that are looking at very similar research to make a really publishable piece of research from these two papers we can join them together we can talk about these different variables which are very kind of timely they might really come into play for these individuals and so it will almost amplify this story to a place whereby even though i'm not doing specific research in this area that i'm dedicated towards you know that my phd was in at the minute i can help support two students and together at the end of their degree we can put together a really publishable piece of work or for those academics who are um in a position to do this at their given university one thing that we do quite a lot um between craig and i is we might come up with an idea and then we might advertise project students to become members of a research team to undertake maybe one two or three strands between them and that can make a multi-study paper which does tap into our experience and our expertise and our passion and that we can really push um after it's been submitted after everything's been marked and the and the grades have been dished up in uh, proportionally we can then work together as a as a smaller research group to try and publish that one or two papers that come from that and we, we've had quite a lot of success with that haven't we craig yeah i think that, i think over the last three or four years we've had three papers like that that have been published hmm. um i think just to give a bit of context though about why this is so important it's worth thinking about how much time we spend teaching um so uh, we all know that there are a certain academic colleagues that maybe have less teaching and due to the workloading kind of systems that we have we just don't really know what's on everyone's workflow so presumably they've got lots of admin uh on their workload where where maybe others don't um i've been lecturing now for six years since my seventh year and i don't think i've ever had less than an average of about 12 or 15 hours a week mm. of teaching. That is timetabled classes before we get to supervision. Um, so if you think a, a standard working week in the UK is 37 hours, um, that leaves me with 22 hours to do supervision. On average, you might have six to eight undergraduate students. You might have four to six to maybe eight postgraduate students. If you meet with each of those once every two weeks for an hour, so eight hours a week there. Mm. Um, so you're looking then at 25 hours. You've then got multiple meetings that are put into your diary that you need to attend from a departmental perspective. Um, any ad hoc meetings that come up with students that, are to you, that you're teaching leaves you with very little time to do your own independent research if you don't have these kind of systems or processes set up. 
it's part of the reason why we try and be quite proactive in this in this regard. It might mean that we move our independent research time from being maybe five hours a week through to maybe 12 hours a week, maybe if we can get um, project students to be really enthused about the type of work that we're doing and really collaborative mm. on that whilst benefiting themselves. What I don't want people to think is that we just kind of force students to do what we want them to do, because that's absolutely not the case. No. Um, it's about thinking about how can we maximise the experience of students whilst also um, being a little bit clever about how we use our own time as well. Yeah. As, as, as an aside, um, I, th I think that's an excellent point. Somebody asked me last year about how I get so many students to come to me wanting to work in the very specific area of, of psychology that, that, that I do. And my, my honest answer to that is that I always like to be present throughout their undergrad program. So I, I don't teach on the undergrad program, but I always make sure that I'll do a guest lecture here or there. I'll, I'll deliver two guest lectures on, on my particular topic. But more so, I do lots of kind of research seminars. I'll do some external things. And when those things come up, I make sure that they're advertised. I make sure that they're advertised for students um to not only grow that passion for my particular research area you know because as academics we all like to talk about our own research but more so to make them aware that research happens outside of their degree and that when it does happen you should come and watch people present because i remember reflecting back when i was in my third year i'd hardly been to any research seminars and hardly taken part in anyone else's research and actually when it got to my third year i was basically a fish out of water i had no idea what i really wanted to do i had no real direction or ideas that were fully flowing and so now that i'm in academia i, I want to make sure that's never the case for any students that i interact with so whether it's my research or whether there's a research showcase or a seminar series that, that's coming i make sure that i directly advertise it to the students and, and rather than just sending an email i'll go into a lecture and say look this is this is why this is important and I think it's little bits like that being kind of omnipresent throughout someone's degree that can really generate that passion. So I really hope there's people like that in in, in all of our listeners' lives. So we're faced with all of these competing tasks and our job is to triage and manage our timetable throughout a week. And But in reality, we might be looking at how we map these activities over a month. Okay, so for, so for example... We spoke in last week's podcast about how to use smart goals to effectively manage our writing. And we might say, well, I haven't got time to sit down and do all of this writing this week, so I'm going to spread it over a month. So when I say this is what happens in a week, I'm looking further afield in my diary to make sure that I can complete any tasks that, that are outstanding. But when we are trying to get these chunkier pieces of work done, and that moves on to our kind of second topic, we need to be managing and being conscious about what is classed as shallow work versus what is deep work that we need to really put a lot of time and effort into. Craig, do you want to give us a, a little bit of a, a definition and some examples about what, what these two competing types of work are? Sure, yeah. So there's, there's a distinction between shallow work and deep work in the kind of productivity literature. Essentially, it comes down to how much conscious effort uh, or cognitive effort you need to kind of put onto a particular task. So shallow work 
typically it's things that you don't need to think about that much. So it might be that you're just answering some emails. You don't really need to sit down and deeply concentrate on what you're doing. Um, meetings, general meetings that you're in um, most of the time. It's kind of that meme, isn't there, of this could have been an email. Um, this is kind of the general kind of gist of what shallow work is. If, if, if you're sat in a meeting for an hour and you're thinking, well, this could have been five bullet points on an email, then that's very shallow work that you've then wasted an hour um, engaging with. Um, general other admin tasks, so kind of submitting forms, submitting expense forms, filling out these kind of paperwork. Very shallow work because it doesn't require that intense cognitive effort. Deep work, on the other hand, is where you have a real need to sit down and focus on something. So it might be that you're writing a paper or you're marking something or uh, you're reviewing a paper or something like that, where you need to sit down with basically no distraction and just be really focused on that one specific thing for an extended period of time. So yeah, thinking through how you then plan that into your diary is really important because you don't just want to say, okay, well, I've got this meeting here, this meeting here, this meeting here, then I've got an hour where I can do deep work. It doesn't work like that. You can't do that kind of sustained effortful work in a short period of time and expect to get things uh, complete in a way that, you, uh, that you'd like to. I think where with academics, people get stuck is where uh, teaching comes in. So teaching is something where inevitably when you're doing it, there will be distraction. And I think anyone who says that they've 100% had kind of classes where there's no distraction, where there's no students on phones, where there's no kind of chatter in the room, um, they're either being naive and they haven't noticed it or they're lying to you that that they've had that because they have. Every, every lecturer has had that. Hmm. So there is distraction in a lecture hall when you're teaching. So you can't, by definition, call that deep work. It does require cognitive effort though, which is really important to kind of bear in mind. So I think about the planning of teaching versus the execution of teaching. Planning of teaching is always deep for me. So I'll sit down, I'll have notes open, and I'll just be working from my notes, putting together the story of a lecture, the story of a seminar, What's the journey that I want to take those students on throughout that session? When I get in the room, for me, that then becomes shallow work because I'm communicating and I'm being responsive and reactive to what's going on in that room. I don't have to put lots of cognitive effort in. There's obviously some because I need to recall that information, but I'm not sitting down focusing, trying to solve a problem at that point. Hmm. It's the solving of a problem, I guess, that is... Uh, the key part of a, of a deep work session. So how, what are you doing to solve a particular problem or meet a particularly uh, demanding task? Sure. Yeah, that, that, that makes complete sense. I think that when I've kind of broached this with early career academics before, they perhaps didn't have the confidence um, as, a, as a more kind of mature academic. You know, did they, they haven't delivered that lecture or that type of lecture before. And I think where the often misconception that teaching is actually deep work comes in is when you try to structure your lectures so specifically that you're almost sticking to a plan. I, I know we've talked in the past about instances where people may have written scripts for their lectures, you know, and I think this was a huge thing during COVID when academics were just starting their academic journey and they were based online. So it's something that's 
easy to do have that kind of crutch you know uh, alongside but i i very much kind of endorse what craig's saying there in that your teaching should be this very, very shallow and responsive and reactive um type of work whereas the planning of it is what needs to be deep just to make sure you're fully setting the the groundwork for that lecture and you're understanding all of the nuances which might come up i definitely think that this shallow versus deep work dynamic is something that people need to be made more consciously aware of and also if it's something that you don't currently actively practice maybe try to bring it into your teaching workload because if you are being very conscious that this is a piece of work which i do need to turn off all distractions to make it more applicable for, for me to either succeed in or for me to complete in a very timely and effective manner if you've got your emails open at the same time and they're kind of pinging along you know and they're distracting you what the knock-on effects of that is is that not only do you not get that piece of work done but then you need to do that piece of work either on another time slot within your diary and it pushes everything backwards or you find yourself as many academics do having to take that work home with you of an evening or at the weekend which we've talked about the evenings and weekends time being quite flexible in academia so it can be a good idea as a buffer but you want to make sure that when you're on campus or when you're working on particular projects you are doing them as effectively and as deeply as possible and i kind of guess this taps onto our third topic which is maintaining control now there's lots of ways in which we can do that so we've, we've just spoken about how we make sure we have dedicated time when we do need to work deeply but also we can do this from a more administrative level so making sure that your diaries are as planned and as specific as possible can really benefit academics now i know that i sit down on a sunday evening so after i've had kind of uh dinner or in, in the late afternoon i'll sit down and make sure that my diary is fully planned out for the week ahead. Not only does this help me to uh, hit the ground running on a Monday morning, but it also allows me to be conscious about particular tasks or particular problems which might emerge throughout that week that I'll need to be more responsive to. And to do this, you need to be aware of what's happening on that week within your programs that you're teaching or within the wider college or the school. But also you need to be aware of any specific student issues. And there might be things which kind of crop up from time and time again, which you need to kind of filter in. But when I do that, I create buffer times within my diary. So I'll make sure I pencil in an extra hour that might be kind of this dead time or at least time that I can do some of this shallow email work. Um, but in the main part, it's because I know that things are going to happen that I haven't been able to account for. And so I can either slot them in or I can move my diary slightly back. My diary is never something which is fixed. It's always something which is flexible and can be uh, reactive too. So, but Craig, I, I know you have a very useful trick or tip with your office hours. Do you want to share that with everybody? Sure, yeah, I, I think... So I have a fairly similar approach to you in terms of managing my diary, I think. So I, at the beginning of every semester or every term, I'll put all of my teaching in my diary at that mm. point. Um, so I don't tend to plan things week by week. I tend to plan things on my diary anyway, semester by semester. So oh, nice. at the start of a term, um, I'll know when my teaching is and I'll then see whether I've got whole days or half days where there's nothing in my diary. If that's the case, I will block those out for research time. 
or research or writing or creative time. They're my kind of deep work slots. So I know that I've got a sustained period of time mm. where I'll be able, without distraction, without any teaching on my kind of uh, timetable, to to work deeply on papers or on research or on uh, other tasks that we've got going on. Um, now, the reason I feel like I can do that is that there's always going to be research time. So I don't, I don't feel like I need to think, well, maybe I don't need research time on a particular week because there's always going to be a need to sit down and do research as part of the job. Hmm. Um, in terms of what you were talking about there, though, in terms of office hours, one thing that I found is a huge kind of drain on time. Um, in addition to being in some meetings that just could be emails, is trying to be reactive to, to meetings that actually need to be meetings. So um, I've got a tendency to try to not have multiple kind of back and forth over email because I think mm. that's a, a really kind of uh, inefficient use of time. So if I feel as though I've, I've been asked a question by a student maybe where um, it's going to require a very long answer to an email which is going to invite further questions, um, I'll just say to them, look, here is a booking link to my office hours. Um, so I'll have kind of three blocks of office hours per week um, on different days. So it can be quite flexible to other people. Um, and they are blocked out in my diary. So I don't put um, any specific tasks. I don't put research tasks in there. But they're marked out as free time in my diary. So anyone who's looking at my calendar, will it will show me as being available at that time. My booking link links to those slots in my diary so that people can just book a half hour or an hour long meeting in those dedicated times. I don't have to do the back and forth that you see all the time of, okay, when are you free? I'm free on Tuesday at half past 12. Um, how about you? Does that fit with you? Actually, no, that doesn't fit. How about Thursday at one o'clock? I don't have to do that all the time because I can just say, look, these are the dates and the times that I'm free for a meeting. There's multiple different times, multiple different days that you can book. And then the person that I'm having that meeting with can just book a time that works for them based on my availability. Um, so it kind of cuts out that time, I guess, of the back and forth of, uh, of planning time. I'm similar to you. I'll always have uh, time in my diary, which is for emails. So every day I've got one hour at the end of the day where I look at emails. Um, I'll respond to quick email kind of queries in that hour. Anything that's going to require more effort I'll move that to my to-do list, which is on uh, Notion. And then in my office hours, if nobody's booked a meeting, that becomes my time to process any tasks that are on my task list. So those office hours in my diary are marked as office hours slash tasks. Um, so if it's a quick thing that I need half an hour just to kind of look up something for a student, or I need to respond to something for a committee, I can quickly do that in half an hour. It doesn't require any deep kind of processing. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of manage my diary, I guess, and try and make sure that all tasks are being processed relatively quickly, hmm. um, not necessarily instantly, because that's not how email related tasks work. Um, but they're responded to usually within uh, two, three, four days. Perfect. That sounds really good. And, and like you say, I think it cuts out all of that email ping pong, which can be such a drain, especially when you get so far into the conversation and you're just seeing that something's not working and then you're trying to look at all of these kind of alternative potential um, options and it, it, it's just 
so unnecessarily such an unnecessarily long process which I'm, I'm glad you've been able to cut out and it's something that i think i'm gonna kind of liaise with you outside the podcast and, and definitely get automated into my diary so in summary that's a kind of a, a week in the life of an academic we're juggling teaching research admin tasks we're constantly triaging we're looking ahead to see whether unexpected or, or new things are going to be thrown into our diaries and how we can buffer those to make sure that we're not missing out and kind of having that additional time craig automates some of his meeting invites which is a really clever way of finding yourself just more time to not have to focus on your emails put in specific email times in your diaries perhaps which can be dedicated to that task so you're not having your email up all day every day because if you're getting those pings and those notifications that means that you can never fully work on that deep learning all you're doing is just all of this shallow work which you know you you can never really invest your full time and commitment to that writing process or that lecture prep and if you are having that invaded throughout the day that's ultimately going to mean that you're doing that in the evenings and the weekend which can detriment your family time your social time and as we've talked about very early on in the podcast series your mental health so in summary that's what we do make sure that you follow some of these hints and tips to optimize your diary and your workload so i really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the i progress podcast as always if you are either listening on spotify or you're watching us on youtube make sure to drop us a follow or a subscription and if you're watching on youtube in the comments down below let us know your ways of working is your diary completely messed up or are you able to quickly and efficiently triage all of your tasks use it as an opportunity to show off and until next time we'll catch you in the next podcast